Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Um, so we're at the second chapter of our uh, Dhammapada review. Uh, we began uh, last week with, uh, well, the, 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 the Dhammapada begins with this line, the mind governs all mental states, which is really a, a complete teaching in the Dhamma when you understand the other teachings, because it is what we hold in mind that will determine uh, each and every moment of our lives, the experience of each and every moment. And if our mindfulness is trained by the Eightfold Path and resting in right view, this moment will be another moment of calm and another moment of understanding. If not, if our mind mindfulness is still rooted in ignorance and um, ignorant ideas, meaning counter to what the Buddha actually taught, um, we're not going to develop that calm. We won't develop understanding of four noble truths. And this uh, this chapter, the uh, Apamadavaga, uh, is a teaching on refined mindfulness. And so when we're talking about refined mindfulness, and the reason why I use the term refined is it's a, the Buddha taught a very special type of mindfulness. And he really didn't give any... Um, uh, he didn't apply the mindful label to anything other than the Eightfold Path because that's what he taught. And so we learn our refined mindfulness is holding in mind the Eightfold Path as our path of practice, our path of liberation, and nothing else. So, you know, we emphasize here, you hear me say it often, uh, as far as our Dhamma practice, it needs to be pure. It needs to be focused. It, 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 does, not, uh, it does not allow... To, for the practitioner to attach anything else to this and call it Dhamma practice. That doesn't mean that you, that you don't do other wholesome things. Uh, Jen is, is a, a good example of that and she speaks eloquently on it. Maybe she will today. Um, but you're, I just to say it, your yoga practice is important to you, isn't mm -hmm. it? And that doesn't take away from Jen's Dhamma practice. So you can have things that might um, ideologically compete compete with each other, but the Dhamma practice is pure, and yoga practice is pure, and anything else you might be. One of our Dhamma teachers here uh, is, a, I think, one of the best Qigong and Tai Chi instructors I've ever come across. That doesn't mean that I know a lot of them, but, but Matt is the best, and that doesn't compete with his Dhamma practice either. So when the, the reason why I'm saying all that this chapter specifically teaches to be mindful of what Dhamma practice is and what it isn't, and to hold that in mind. The Apamadavaga. Mindfulness is the path to cessation. Cessation of what? Cessation of ignorance. Mindfulness is the path to cessation. Those mindful do not suffer. Those mindful have gone beyond suffering. And of course, we're talking about mindfulness of the Eightfold Path. And you'll hear that. Clearly knowing the excellence of mindfulness, the wise exulting in mindfulness and the refuge of the noble ones. The wise ones established in jhana, steadfast in heartwood. Heartwood is always a reference to the Eightfold Path. They alone are released. Freedom beyond compare. Glorious are those energetic, pure, discerning rightly, restrained and always mindful. Mindful of right effort, a disciple of heartwood, the wise are an island unto themselves that no flood can overwhelm. It's just a marvelous line, isn't it? And it also is important in the, in the Dhamma where the Buddha is pointing out that our Dhamma practice resolves in us being an island unto ourselves. And the reason why I'm, that's important, and it was important during the Buddha's time, is the notion of interconnectedness and interbeing, I'm just using a couple of the phrases, 
very common in modern Buddhism or just as common during the Buddhist time. And here he's pointing out that that's not the case for Dhamma practitioners. We become an island unto ourselves, meaning we become sovereign. And how does that happen? How do we lose the, the, um, the misguided notion that I should be connected with everything in the universe to have meaning in my life? Meaningful, meaning, making this moment meaningful requires that I be sovereign and that you be sovereign, that you all be an island unto yourselves. And then we come together as fully mature human beings. And now this moment is meaningful. Why? Because I'm here, I'm present for it. I'm not out there. I'm not attached to a million different things and a million different ideas. I'm here, I'm present. And you're there and you're present. You're all sovereign unto yourselves. You're well concentrated and you understand four noble truths. Calm prevails. And um, what the Dhammapada starts out with, the mind, mind is... Mind governs all mental states. Is an individual thing. Yeah, oh yeah, it's a good, good point. So it, that's where it even starts and that's where it dissolves as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's another reason why these are, you know, we're little mind island, islands, uh, and we we start here and we and we end there. And we end there. Yeah. Mind governs all mental states. Continuing, the foolish and ignorant crave mindlessness. There's a lot of examples of that, isn't there? Maybe more and more every day. But what would be a good example? Needing to be on my phone all the time, looking at Facebook and Twitter and, and the rest of it. The foolish crave mindlessness. For the, the most difficult parts of my life were always characterized by that. I've always craved mindlessness in some form or another, whether it was a TV or my stereo, a new record, or the next bottle of vodka, or the next romantic relationship, or the next and the next and the next. That's, that's a fool craving mindlessness, always looking for distraction. Where the wise look just the, at just the opposite. We want concentration. We want calm. Let's just say it again. The foolish, <clears throat> the foolish and ignorant crave mindlessness. The wise know this one treasure. Refrain from mindlessness. Refrain from sensual pleasures. Only those established in jhana and refined mindfulness attain lasting calm. The wise, looking down from the mountaintop of wisdom, having abandoned mindlessness, established in mindfulness, this peaceful sage observes the foolish and suffering multitude. And that's not a denigration of the fools. It's just making the point that this Dhamma practice, which is available to anyone, right? Anyone can practice. We know that here. But those that do practice look down from the mountaintop. We don't take pleasure in recognizing the suffering that's still out in the world, but we understand it and we're not distracted by it. We're not distracted by the need to be a savior either because we understand we are islands, we're sovereign. And so are other people that choose not to practice the Dhamma for one reason or another, whether they know of it or not. We understand their sovereignty too. And we also can understand the, the suffering that's inherent in the world by simply having a human life. Mindful among the mindless, awake among those asleep, the wise advance like a swift horse. By mindfulness is one exalted. Mindfulness is always praised by the wise. Mindlessness is always despised. <clears throat> the Dhamma practitioner who delights in mindfulness and is fearful of mindlessness advance like a fire burning away all fetters. The Dhamma practitioner who delights in mind, mindfulness and is fearful of mindlessness will not lose the way. They are very close to release. That's the end of this chapter. Thank you. Uh, we'll go. I, 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 Deborah said I can't pick on her first, so <laughs> I won't. <laughs> so I'm going to go to Mary Beth. How are you, Mary Beth? Good to see you this morning. Yeah, you are. Hi, John. Um, How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks. Yeah. 
and uh, been away for several weeks. So really just kind of looking to reconnect. And um, it's always it's always comforting to know that you guys are all still here <laughs> when I return. So that's all I have to say. Thanks, John. It's always comforting when you return too. You know, your, your song of Tuesday. Um, last week's talk is already posted. If you want to catch up to you know where we are with the with the Donald Potter, this is just a second class. But I'm glad you joined us. Um, no, I, I'm looking for. There he is. Um, Rick has joined us for the first time. And Rick, nobody has to speak, but if you'd like to say something, we'd like to hear it. Uh, you're on. You're on mute. I, yeah, I think you're okay. Rick, would you like to say something? Uh, I can't unmute you. It's probably asked to unmute because I don't think you can yeah. unmute. Rick, if you can unmute yourself and, and want to say something, please do so. I don't think it's a mute problem. Yeah. Microphone. Okay. Well, <laughs> welcome to our sangha, Rick. And uh, if you if you have any questions or you want to contact me, just go to the website and you can send me an email. But again, welcome to our sangha. Dhamma teacher Brian. Hi, John. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Um, I, I love this one with just the the emphasis on and the the contrasting to mindfulness versus mindlessness, right? And it's just so clear in the value of being mindful. Um, it's just a beautiful analogy. So thank you. It really is. Thank you, Brian. Good morning, Slav. Yeah, Slav is here. Uh, good morning, everybody. It was really... <laughs> yes, it was very enjoyable to uh, practice with you guys today. And John, I really like how you highlight. Uh, it's Buddha just talked not about mindfulness, like mindfulness cooking, mindfulness sleeping or whatever. He talking about specific mindfulness yep. uh, related frame of the Four Noble Truth. Yeah. It's kind of like a little bit quite opposite of um, modern practice. And also, uh, yeah. yes, I have to tell you something in my hand now. I don't know if you're able to see it. I have a book. It's a Tamapada for completion. And obviously, uh, what I do, I read at least four or five lines every day before I uh, go to work or whatever so it's a uh, small short and it's very helpful it's highlighted a lot of stuff important yeah, yeah yep. there's, there's so much here but also the the mindfulness the way the buddha teaches it means that the eightfold path is a limiting path it limits us from grasping after every idea and clinging to everything and just focus on this and when when that's done when that's accomplished it does become a very simple uh, an immediate practice that anybody can do. And you can, you know, you can you, you rest your mind in jhana and you can carry the eightfold path wherever you go. It changes everything. So I'm glad you joined us. Thank you. I'm glad too. It's, it's awesome. Have the office. Yeah. yeah, again, we got to figure out a way to get Slob's face. Thank you. You made my day. No, you made ours. <laughs> Dr. Kevin. Another day maker. Hi, good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, it's what a nice teaching. It's so succinct and so direct. Um, it's really great to be back in the Dhammapada because these teachings are just so sort of sweet and short and deep. So thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Kevin. I'm getting something here. People keep mentioning they like the short teachings. <laughs> Is that like a little nudge that I should shut up once in a while? Hi, uh, Jeff, what do you think? 
I would never characterize it as that way, John. That's, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the first line in this caught my attention, as, as I suppose it's intended to. Yeah. Uh, 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 and the word cessation stands out for me. Um, that, that the emphasis is on the positive of mindfulness on the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path yeah. as perhaps contrasted against concentrating on not being mindless. In yeah. other words, if, if one were to focus on, on trying not to be mindless, you would actually, in fact, still be concentrating on the mindlessness versus focused on that which was the intent. Um, and that, that the, second, the second line, the second part of that opening line, those mindfulness do not suffer. I was, I was recalling some of the recordings from your uh, other years of covering this particular uh, this and, and the first uh, uh, lesson in the Dhammapada, where there was a discussion about the word passion. Mm. And uh, not, not to get into the semantics too much, but the root word of passion was to suffer. Uh, and when you have passion for mindlessness or, or those things that are not mindful then you are you're saying you're suffering those and yep. and there was a debate on whether you could be passionate about the dhamma which sort of doesn't work because you don't suffer the dhamma right you're joyfully engaged in the dhamma you aren't suffering the dhamma yeah so you know that that might be a, an interesting discussion to have a clarification on whether or not passion is the correct application for the experience of the Dhamma or the mindfulness of the <clears throat> yeah there's, there's a, mindfulness we're, we're after yeah it, because we learn to be dispassionate and and so to bring eye making to cessation bring selfing to cessation. But there's a Pali word called Chanda, which happened to be the name of Siddhartha's horse, by the way. Um, and Chanda means skillful desire. And so we have, and we don't talk about it much because we're just, if you're practicing the Dhamma, you're practicing the Dhamma. But we generate that skillful desire, that Chanda. Uh, every time we sit, every time we bring to mind some aspect of the Eightfold Path, every time we're established in right view, that's an aspect of the skillful desire to be awakened, to be a liberated sovereign human being, you know, to be a mature human being. Perhaps um, that's the reference to the swift horse. Yeah, yeah, and there's a, there, I can't think of it right now, what's the name of the sutta? And I got too many suttas in my head. Um, well, yeah, they're, the, the key to, the Dhamma, the key to a liberated life is dispassion, uh, which seems to, to uh, contradict how we live, how we should live in the world. But what do we, what would we be passionate about? You know, what, what, what's the, is there an exception out in the world or to, to the Dhamma practitioner to be passionate about money or a job or their wife or their children? Every time you're passionate, well, or husband, Every time you're passionate about something, you're you're presenting the opportunity to suffer because something there is going to change. That's the nature of life. But when we understand that, when we understand that each and every moment is its own moment, it's it's the, you know, I, I I've said it a few times. If we want to know what eternity is, be present because when you're present, you are on the edge of eternity, aren't you? And it's the only time we can know that is to be present for this moment. But if I'm passionate about something in this moment, I'm not here anymore. So, you know, and, that, and that's the, that's the uh, passion is a counter to the kind of mindfulness that we're talking about too, mindfulness of the Eightfold Path. So 
I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Deborah. Don't add me. <laughs> yeah. uh, good morning. Good morning. I, I uh, don't have too much to say. Thank you for the sutta. Uh, as Jeff had mentioned previously, uh, we took our evenings, several evenings this week, and we listened to previous year's chapters, chapter whatever we're studying for the next Suda. And it's interesting to me to hear your Suda's from the past on this same chapter, because different things are topic. I mean, mm -hmm. different discussions pursue from each Suda, yeah. which broadens the entire suttas. It does. Yeah. Other than that, um, from my past suttas, things apply predominantly with each lesson. And I know this is probably yeah. a repeat from previous suttas, laying down burdens, uh, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, or Heartwood, it always brings you right back to that yes. each and every time. But with that being said, practicing these in my daily life, um, I seem to be growing and going further with each day. Yeah. I feel lighter and um, I don't know, I can't describe it, frankly. I don't think I have enough adverbs, but I feel a lightness. Yeah, we all know what you're talking about. And that's, that's just how the Dhamma is, right? Where when you're when you're letting go of the burden, you feel lighter. You just do. Even you know, even even me, you know, I feel lighter. Uh, at the, the the Buddha taught the first noble truth as there is dukkha, and he taught that that dukkha is rooted in ignorance. Dukkha is the burden, isn't it? When we don't understand it, but when we do, it's just a part of life. You know? doesn't have to be different and it can't be different, including, you know, the, ourselves. The, the, the Buddha taught that, that birth is suffering, <clears throat> sickness is suffering, aging is suffering, death is suffering. That spans all of life, doesn't it? From birth to death, from one breath, you know, from the first breath to the last breath. But we can develop understanding by being mindful of the Eightfold Path, as you just described. Thank you, Deborah. Is that, uh, that, uh, that Adam, is he around, that scoundrel? How are you, Adam? What's up, John? Ah, it's good to hear your voice. How you doing? There you are. What's going on? How's your How's your Dhamma practice going? Uh, I've, I've been uh, not doing it, honestly. No, you can. It looks like you got two characters there that are going to make sure you 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 practice today at least. So yeah, you can always get back into it, my friend. <laughs> it's always there. So. Uh, and you want to, if you want to talk about anything, just give me a call later. I'll be around all day, I think. Yeah, how are you feeling? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah. 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 Shooting baskets and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John. Good to see you, my friend. I think. Tom, a teacher, Tom, I think you're the only one that I, I haven't got it. My screen's a little crazy, so if I miss anybody, just holler. But Tom, a teacher, Tom, where are you? Uh, I'm in Germany at the moment, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm in a hotel in Germany. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a, um, it's good to be back, first and foremost, because um, I've been traveling a lot recently and uh, it's made it quite difficult to come to class. Um, but hopefully things are calming down a bit now, so I'll be able to be a bit more um, consistent. 
Uh, but I am continuing to practice on, on my own and listen, just like uh, Deborah and Jeff were saying, listening to um, all of the previous recordings. Um, and it's just such a important constant in my life, I think, the Dharma. Um, and I, I also really like those the first few lines. Um, and they're so powerful and so direct. And I remember the very first time I ever tried mindfulness. I actually I went to some sort of trendy studio in London and I, I had to I spent five minutes just staring at a raisin and admiring yeah. and, and just observing the raisin. And it, to be honest with you, it was an eye opening experience because I've never looked at a raisin the same way since. Right. And, <laughs> and it, that sort of there was a level of wisdom that I got from it. There was there was this sort of, um, you know, it opened my mind to what a wonderful and complex world we live in you know that you can find in the micro in in you can go and now every time i i am i'm in nature i i try to focus on the micro you know seeing that tiny bit of moss in a big in a big forest etc cetera, etc cetera. anyway but so so the experience itself wasn't wasn't worthless it was actually quite interesting but it didn't it didn't give me any insight into why I suffer and you know that second line those mindful do not suffer um you know those mindful of the eightfold path have gone beyond suffering it's there's just a a level of clarity that that the Dhammapada and all of the suttas really that we study bring which just just you know it it just it's it's mindfulness yeah as it as it was intended yeah i think and it's really the transformative mindfulness because if not i could i could be a wise person i could i don't know um talk about nature i could present nature programs but i i would still suffer right and so what, what, what's the point of all of this if you're still suffering so anyway so i i, I love this tea. i mean i love all of the chapters of the dhammapada um i love uh you know i love the metaphors and every time i read it 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 provokes me in a different way um so uh yeah so that's that's all i wanted to say but yeah thank you um thanks for the teaching and great to great to be back and uh to check you're all st still here um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're still here too you remind me i had a good friend of mine his name was robert wolf um he was quite a bit older than me when i met him he lived in volcano uh, on the big island and he was, he loved this. There was a, a, a fern, I think it was, or moss, I think it was uh, only in Hawaii called Milaloli. And it would, had the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest um, leaves, like just, just a tiny little thing. But he loved it and he planted his whole front lawn in these little Milaloli. And the big thing when I would go and you know, we had these long talks. Um, at one point, we take our shoes off and our socks off, if we had them, and walk on this. And he, it was just, it was one of the most delightful things to walk so lightly on these tiny, tiny little plants, not hurting them. I can still feel it, what it was like. And I don't know, I mean, I'm, it has nothing to do with mindfulness, but you reminded me of Robert Wolf. I got to, uh, you know, I think he's passed. I haven't seen him in quite a while, but <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Is there anybody online that I haven't? talk to yet i know rick doesn't have a microphone working but i think i got everyone right yep okay good thank you all jennifer do you mind the uh no. the camera no, is jennifer oh wait i gotta get back to her i can see who's there's jennifer good morning jennifer good morning good thank see you, you so much for that soda it's um well they're all always timely yeah. <laughs> so I can't say. Amazing, um, isn't it? Yeah. There's there's a couple areas of my life that I'm uh, there are always very difficult. They challenge the teaching. Yeah. You know, it's um, both of which are based in trauma, um, past trauma, and ongoing trauma. It's just such a difficult 
situation and it my mind wrestles with how do I apply the Dharma to it because I'm so used to it's similar to passion you know because it, it involves one of my one of my children mm-hmm. so it's something I care deeply about and there's this fear if I don't stay hyper vigilant because I have to well frankly you know my my, my one of my sons has severe cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's just, it, it's, it's a difficult situation. And it, there's like this, but if I get too calm or too like, how do I keep focused on this situation and his care? And so I stay wrapped in this hyper vigilant state. You know, mm-hmm. you're a parent, so you care incredibly. And um, it, it, it is the hard nut. You know, it's, it's right there. It's the, you know, the fear of allowing myself to apply the Dharma to it in a sense, because I'm afraid mm-hmm. that if I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, I think you explained it very yeah. well, and and yeah. thank you for bringing up something you know so obviously personal. Yeah, and that's what you're describing is that you're it, yeah. it's such an intense situation. How do you not take it personally? Yeah, and the answer, and it sounds it sounds pat, and I don't mean it to sound pat, but right, it is right. is is through Dharma practice, and I think you see that. But yeah. so how do you how do you get completely dispassionate? about a child with cerebral palsy. Right. When you're meditating and you're you're really focused on your breath, in that moment, you're not thinking of your son, but yet you still care for him, don't you? Yeah. So you don't have to generate feelings of passion to continue to be a loving mother. In fact, I think you're going to find this as you continue with Dhamma practice and as you're, you develop ever deepening concentration and calm, that you're even more present for your son than you are now, because you, how do, how do I say this without you wanting to slap me in the face? Um, you'll understand. You won't. You can slap me in the face if you want. You won't need to take your son's cerebral palsy personally, meaning you won't need it to be any different. It's just an acceptance. So the Buddha taught birth is suffering. I, I do understand that. So how do you how do you lock it in? How do you how do I lock it in? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think everybody here would say would continue Dhamma practice. Again, it sounds pat. But that's that's what the that's why the Buddha presented the Dhamma, because he said the first noble truth is there is suffering, but you don't have to take it personally. That's the rest of the you know the, the second noble truth is craving for and clinging to ideas that something should be different, including your son. How do you how do you not want a son with cerebral palsy to be different, to be healthy? Right, right. Because this is what's occurring. And again, it, that, that even sounds cruel that you should um, develop that type of dispassion, but it isn't, is it? it no, it's a, a, I remember giving an interview when he was younger and I had to come to terms with, because I did everything. I took him to healing lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything. I tried religion you know, the whole bit. And I remember the experience was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. You know, because you see how these people be getting slain in the spirit and claiming they're healed. And oh, yeah. my son wasn't getting healed. And, and there's this teaching in there that um, it's very, very dangerous teaching. It's very, very harmful that if you have enough faith, faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, cast into the ocean, and 
That's you know, cruelty. It is cruelty. Yeah. And I found it a very, very cruel experience. And I walked away from the church because of it. It was just, it was poison. Mm -hmm. And why wasn't my son worthy of that healing? And how yeah. did I fail because of my lack of belief and standing on the word? And I, I came to this place where it was like, well, it has to be acceptance. How can I keep running mm -hmm. through this world trying to change my son and make him be something other than he is? So I have to meet him where he's at and love him for <clears> yeah. what he has, um, which was the healthiest thing I ever did. Yeah. But at the same time, in his care, you know, because he can't speak. I mean, he's severely, he can't protect himself. He's, he's got the mind of a two-year-old, some places a six-year-old. Um, so he's very vulnerable. So where does the hypervigilance drop out because you have a practice? It, it, it's this. Why does calm mean I can't be vigilant? And this is the key word. I have to keep bringing my mind back to it's just calm that we're talking about like here and how right. that will benefit like us. Vigilance doesn't mean panic. Right. Vigilance doesn't mean anger. Vigilance yeah. doesn't mean I don't accept, but vigilance yeah. with calm. What better thing to bring to your son? Exactly. But my mind is so used to. Yes. Conditioned. Conditioned. Yeah. yeah. That's and that's what the practice is doing. It's Right. Reconditioning that mind where it's not passion, it's dispassion, which is clarity. Right. And to me, that, Ooh, what, I like that what better way to take care of this person that deserves me at the most clear point in time is this moment. Clarity. Clarity. That, for him, for you. And, and another word. another that's word for clarity is understanding. Understanding. Right? Yeah. You understand that this is just all of this. All of this is just a consequence of having a human life. Right. So, you know, we could get into uh, I don't want I don't want to his, his moment, his next moment is whether you're panicked or vigilant or tired or angry is happening. But this practice puts you in a position where you're at peace with a less than peaceful mind. Yeah. And prepared for that moment. And, and that's, all, that's all we can ask for in this practice. There's nothing spectacular about that moment. Yeah. Except now you're there for it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Which is what makes, you know, being present for this moment is what makes this moment spectacular or meaningful. Um, and, and the radical acceptance of the Dhamma. Right. then allows you to accept something that would seem unacceptable right. with a different quality of mind, but you understand this and or you're gaining an understanding. Of... It's like the the remaining spot where my mind really wants to stay where yeah. it's at, where it's playing. Yeah, but that's mindfulness. That's, that... If you think about mindfulness in our, our uh, retreat that we had, you're sensitive to mental formation. You're sensitive to distraction. You're sensitive to it all. And then you're calming those mental formations. You're 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 open to that impermanence. And that's what to this chapter. Mindlessness versus mindful. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's like this chapter is as short as it was, but he really hit it. Yeah, yeah, that's the dollar. I, I don't tell most people this. I don't know. It just, it, it just really hit. Because it's really so, in, you know, in our everyday lives at every moment. Yeah. Yeah, and that again, Jennifer, give yourself a lot of credit for being here this morning and hearing this. You know, yeah. I mean, you're this is your practice, yeah. and you're gonna you're gaining great benefit, and your your son will recognize it whether he can verbalize. Right. the difference in you simply because you'll be more present that, and that's that, that's the most human thing anybody can do especially for mm -hmm. you know a son with cerebral palsy yeah. you, know, you got me thinking about two people i know someone who has a, a, a well an, an adult a, a, almost a child with down syndrome mm -hmm. and that's, he's he's the he's the happiest person i've ever met in my life <laughs> and 
you know, so on the outside, I'm like, well, that's that's terrible. This guy's living a great He's life. Happy. Yeah. And I, I have a, a cousin who's has I can't remember the is on the on the on the spectrum. Right. Like, mm-hmm. And Listen. again, he's he's just he's 34 years old. He just got his first job at a Walgreen or one of those places. Yeah. And he's again, he's the happiest kid in the world. He's, you know, he's he, it's even it's just a part time job. He's bringing in 80 bucks a, a week and he feels like he's loaded. Yeah, and you know, again, from the outside, oh, that's too bad. Why? You know, exactly. These, these, this is how these, it's not these people, but they're living a life. We think it should be different. And I, I mean, I, it just, your son knows that he's been loved every minute, and it's because of you. Yeah, and what, what more can you give? I mean, I, you know. You can't give anything more to your kids than love and make sure. I, I think I say that about my parents when I'm talking about it. I was an awful kid. I really was. I, I tore up the house. But every minute of my life, I knew I was loved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only way out that I could have survived. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe I'm getting a little bit off topic, but I, yeah. your son knows he's loved. And now you can free yourself of the stress that you put on yourself that he, that he should be different or wanting him to be different. And yeah. just practiced a radical acceptance of the Dharma. Yeah, yeah, that, that part I can accept. It's just, it's just care. It's the concern for his care. And, yeah, yeah. Can, I, can I say something to you about what I'm hearing? Like you say um, that you're, you're seeing yourself hypervigilant around his care yeah because he's not in my care now right now i mean i have a home till he's 21 but now he lives up at the home of the developmental center and i have to on that situation yeah so you're Phone like calls visiting right yeah and so you're maybe thinking about it more than you feel like you should be thinking about it or you're seeing yourself <laughs> I get unable to... to let go of like constantly yes worrying just worrying right okay so you're seeing that you're seeing that in yourself right yeah i am in a way i didn't before and you were able to explain it to us so you're recognizing that you have some you know wrong thinking there some conditioned thinking that's going on yes conditioned thinking yes okay you that's dhamma practice that's it you don't have to then squash all conditioned thinking. Right. You don't have to now make it all be different. Now you're doing the same thing to yourself. Yeah, right. And make myself be different. You're right. Just right. see that and yeah. and say, oh, I'm ignorant of vulnerable truths. This is this is just stress. Right. This is my conditioning. Come back to the breath. Right. And then it'll happen again. Come back to the breath. Yeah. Let it go again back of the breath and the more often that you practice that then the getting caught up in that well yeah, I, I gotta make sure i gotta call i gotta make a list about yeah. it I, you know then yeah. you, the more often that you interrupt that and just come back to the breath right. the more times you're reinforcing that presence yeah with what's happening in the mind instead of being the person that's worrying now you're just watching. Yeah, and I even little things that don't go right in his care become big things in my yep. mind. And I'm like, okay, you know, you need to learn to roll with this. <laughs> well, not take it personally. That thing is not, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is not me. This is not mine. This yeah, is not so what I am. That one area, you know, as, as our children, it's the hardest area, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. We are. Which, this allows you to be more effective in your inner care because yeah. you're not distracted by this this worry right. you just want to care yeah. well, that's bending the, energy the, right. the yeah. important same amount but this won't be like ron was saying the important yeah. thing is that that you're learning to de-stress yourself you're not contributing and adding to more stress <laughs> i mean it, it's it, it's stressful there's dukkha right Right. But as you continue to gain control of your mind, 
you won't be contributing to that stress. Jen mentioned recognition. There's a short article on the website called Mindfulness is Recognition and Renunciation. And that's what you're doing. You're first recognizing, yeah, here I am. I'm caught up in this eye making. Let me take a breath. Let me take a step back and depersonalize the situation. It doesn't change anything yeah. out in the world, but it changes the, your response to it. Yeah. And you're, you're depersonalizing of it. Again, I, thank you for bringing it up. If if you ever want to talk about it more in detail, send me an email. We'll, okay. you know, we'll have a conversation. I appreciate everybody's comments. It's very helpful. Yeah, this is this is what a sangha does. You know, thank again. Thank you for bringing it up. I know it wasn't easy. Did contribute to a really good class. So thanks. Here's Adam. If I can get him. There he is. I got it. Uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Jen. Um, uh, the only thing I'll say is you'll find that that twice daily jhana practice will start to really bear fruit as far as you know. Yeah. <clears throat> be able to provide all the care that you need to that you need to provide that he needs without um, you know uh, okay. the, the suffering goes that goes with it that's blocking everything else that was for you. Yeah. Um, oh, that this noble silence for me, John. Thank you very much. Glad you're here, Adam. Here's Becky. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, John. I just want to thank you, Jennifer, too, for sharing that. Uh, and for being, and for doing it, you have such wisdom and you have such uh, calm in sharing that. And I found that to be very inspirational. Oh, thank you. So thank you. Well, I was going to sort of make a joke, but I guess maybe something <laughs> might be good. <laughs> Somebody Let's have a joke. Say that, 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 every time we, we do the Dhammapada, I'm just like, I want to make all these sticky notes <laughs> all over my house. That's what they are. They are just sticky notes. It's really great collection. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really great. Really um, but I do have one other thing that I wanted to bring up, and that is when you when you're practicing the Dhamma and you're having some moments of right view, you really notice when people around you, especially your loved ones, are suffering because of their lack of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel a little bit of self-righteousness coming over me. And I, <laughs> I sometimes? We can't have we can't have comments from family members. I feel like I have it too. That's why. That's why she does that because we, you know, together. Well, which one of you is the best Dhamma practitioner? No, what I mean, what I mean by that is, is you're just like watching somebody that you really care about mm -hmm. suffering yeah. and you want to do something and then you just find you, you can restrain yourself and try to just put yourself in that person's mind yeah. that's that's the goal right i mean that's in that moment if you can just step back for the instant that it takes you to think of try to understand where he is yeah or where she is and the more we learn to accept ourselves as we are the more we accept mm -hmm. other people as we are okay as they are as they are yeah and that and that really and again it's 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 in internal and inside job we first learn have to learn to accept ourselves if we're going to accept other people again there is dukkha right but if we apply the dhamma and we understand this is what i'm doing because it's what i'm doing that I, nobody else has to do this i mean i'm kind of glad there's a few of you that, that i can practice with but 
you know, but I, right. it, radical acceptance of yourself then leads to radical acceptance of others. Mm. It doesn't mean that you might, if the opportunity is there, say you might benefit from doing this, learning, learning the Dhamma. Um, I probably, I, had, I know I've talked to every family member about Dhamma practice, mm -hmm. and as great as I am, <laughs> I'm the only Haspel that's practicing the Dhamma. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's okay, you know, because I, because I understand. That's that's just the way the world is, and they're not they're, they're not bad or awful people because they don't practice the dhamma. They're bad or awful for other reasons. <laughs> no, I know that. Yeah, and know yeah, they, yeah. They're, just, they're just they're just that way, you know. And, uh, right. And as you just could, want, you're just you're just selfing if you think for some reason you can say yeah. something that's going to make them feel better. Or yeah, what 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 can you do to make people feel what better? What can you do? Yeah, There's but what can you do to make yourself feel better? Yeah, that's right. that's take, really where take it's a breath. That's really where it's at. Yeah, yeah. take yeah. a breath, right? Mm -hmm. And just calm your own mind. Yeah, yeah. and and you know the the uh, then the, if you don't do that, then you're always in conflict with the people you love. If if you keep thinking they need to be different, right. in your mind there's always that conflict, rather than just understand um, people are, you know people do the best they can I mean I really it's one of the things I've always believed no matter how poor somebody's behavior might be in my eyes they're doing the best they can and that, I mean that's just human nature to do the best you can even though you might your your behavior might be antisocial at times you're doing the best you can you know? when I was out there doing what I was doing I was doing the best I can, but you know, I puked on a lot of people's shoes doing the best I could. It's just the way, just the way life is. Maybe I shouldn't be so graphic. And, and <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and Becky, I gotta say, you're such a, such a loving and compassionate person. Uh, the more you apply that to yourself. Uh, more calm you're going to have. That, I, I would bet Jen would say the same thing, mm -hmm. uh, even though you're terribly self-righteous. <laughs> hey, thank you, Becky. Thank you, Jen. I'm a teacher wrong. I didn't hear that. So these Sangha meetings are just so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, this, what Jennifer was bringing up, uh, I mean, it echoes in my life as well. I have two kids with you know, stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, some days it's a lot of stuff, and other days it isn't. Um, and, Every time it blows up, it blows up because I want it to be different than it is. Yeah. And every time that I can say something or do something affected as far as dealing with their life, it's because I do it um, without passion. Yeah. And I accept what where they are at, and, and I can hand them something that that, that I've understood. Then it's okay, yeah. but as soon as I, I don't accept the situation, just that's when strife happens. Yeah, flies around the room. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, oh, thank you, thank you all. Thank you, mom. Now my teacher Jen. Oh, a lot of feelings in this class. <laughs> <laughs> um. Form feeling perceptions. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, this and um, Jennifer, your your the the phrase hypervigilance was was I mean it like hit me because this past week it's been I've just been struggling with form and my body just being not right. And the, the, the word hypervigilance is exactly what 
has been causing my suffering. It's just been not accepting what is going on and constantly making a story and a, a checklist and a, a, a to-do list around what so ridiculous what I need to do to make this body be different than it is and um when I came into class this morning and just sat down I literally just sat down and was like I felt so supported in the sense of uncertainty that I've been experiencing and distracted by uh, this past week, just the uncertainty of what's going to happen with this form um, is okay when I'm sitting in and amongst these people. Just being able to be with uncertainty yeah. is possible when I am with all of you and that is what is necessary to not be distracted by it so i thank you all very much thank you Jen. thank you Jen. <laughs> you know i i say it at every retreat but i'll say it here that our sangha wouldn't be the same without each and every person who's here including you Jen. and i don't think we could even imagine this place without without your presence and uncertainty is an aspect of impermanence, isn't it? Yeah. Because everything's changing. We never know what's coming. But we're here in this moment, you know, having this life. And to me, life has never been more meaningful, or I would even say beautiful, because I'm here for it. And you're here for it. You're having an experience that is obviously very difficult. But you're, you're staying present with it. You know, you're living your life. And your life is a great contribution to others just by you being sent. So thank you. Thanks. I feel like we should stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, what a class. What a class. I mean, I am a hell of a teacher. <laughs> Mary, good morning. Good morning. Um, it has been quite a class. Um, but the you know, the truth remains that no matter the situation and the details of the situation, it's it's come back to the breath yeah. and the Dhamma, you know, seeking clarity and right view, uh, no matter how difficult the situation. Um, I, for the same reason as everybody else has mentioned, I enjoy this. It's, I don't mean to say it's a break, but it's a change and it's nice. Yeah. You know? Like church in the summer, you know? <laughs> out, you know? <laughs> At the shore, right? You know? <laughs> no, I'm that's I'm not saying they're the same thing, but it is nice. And I think we also enjoy metaphor, analogy, you know, all of that as well. We all grew up with fairy tales that helped us learn lessons and yeah. things like that. So um, and, you know, so I liked the uh, fire burning the fetters. I was like, man, that's good. I like that. I like that image. But anyway, it helps you to see things um, differently. And then there isn't the same repetition. Not that there's anything wrong with the repetition. Again, it's just like a break. Yeah. And, and um, it's just really nice. Um, one of the things I, I was taking from some of the earlier comments and even now is that I remember when I first heard about dispassion and I was starting to get it and I immediately like exploded into like tears and passion, you know, but um, the understanding is that dispassion isn't the opposite of passion because it's the middle way. Yeah. And that I think provides some comfort because I think we could all see that the middle way isn't a wrong way. We're not talking about not being super vigilant unless it's 
causing suffering, right? Yeah. But the dispassion is the middle way in a space that we think we're supposed to have a lot of feelings and a lot of attachments yeah. and all of that. I think, you know, I mean, we've all had our own experiences to uh, describe that. So that's what came to mind when Jeff was talking and, um, and others today, that permission to be dispassionate is not uncaring or unkind. It might be the most loving thing you can do for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, so, somebody says that often, the most loving thing we can do mm -hmm. for ourselves and all others is yeah. to take for the dog. And, and what's, what is it called at the end of um, our saga session? What is that? Because it talks to the mother, even when her with her only child, right? Yeah. It talks about that energy yeah. that, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we can all relate to, um, but it's within an understanding of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and a sense of calm. Yeah. Because that's a very common, um, so it recognizes that. Yeah. The, the, eight, the yep. Eightfold Path is a middle way, meaning it's, it's a middle way between extreme views. Yep. So an extreme view might be a hypervigilant view. Right, or a uh, passionate. Yeah, where the eightfold path just says, you know, this is what's occurring. And again, and it's not uncaring. No, I, I mean, again, I think, I think it's a true statement, what I just said, that the most loving thing I can do for myself and all others is to practice it now. And it's true. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a mean, miserable snot like I used to be. I, you know, I, I treat people well. But I, but I also, I mean, I, I talk about it a lot because I go to a lot of doctors, but I have so much fun in doctor's offices. I, I just do. And it's wrong with you. I wonder if they're having fun. But, yeah, but, but I mean, I, there, there's, for one thing, to a person, they, they're just really just dedicated. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then to a person, I think they're, maybe they're underappreciated. So they see me come in with a, with a limp and a smile and you know a joke it it it's but i'm not doing it to manipulate the doctor's office i'm doing because it it's it's just fun you know? yeah it's great to be in the world and it just is i mean you know again this moment in my life is more meaningful than any moment i've ever had and that's the truth and well now this one is uh -huh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right david that's a good place then <laughs> You're good. All right. Back to me. Yeah, it really was a remarkable class. All right, again, I make sure I get everyone who is on online as well. Okay. Um, we'll continue this. Uh, Kevin's going to be teaching. Uh, Dhamma teacher Kevin will be teaching Tuesday's class, but we'll continue with this. Um, this. Uh, this class I'll post it sometime today, and I already posted the first chapter of the Dhamma Pod. Mm -hmm. If you missed it, so you can catch up with that. Uh, and we'll finish with Metta as soon as I bring it up. So the Karaniya Metta Sutta is a sutta where the Buddha is describing that quality of mind of an awakened human being and how that human being now lives in the world. And I think. It's really pertinent to what we talked about here today. Um, the Buddha's words from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. So just take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the, Buddha wor the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, 
those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her, with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Really remarkable Thank class you. today. Thank, Thank you, John. Thanks, Thanks for everyone. Thanks, everybody. <clears throat> See you all online. Bye. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.